Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Total Football Debate, episode 17. It is the trio, finally, after quite a few weeks of rotation, we are finally back as a trio. Everyone can calm down. Don't worry, we haven't disappeared. So we have a a busy few topics to discuss um, because for the first time, probably, since we started the Premier League roundups, a certain someone is the only one happy this week. So we will give him time to discuss how delighted he is. I'm sure there won't be many times, so maybe, uh, you know, I mean, lap it up while you can. Is, they did arguably beat the worst team in the league by a single goal. Well, <laughs> second worst. They've really beaten the worst team in the league by a single I was going to say, we've already beaten the worst one. So the second worst team in the league by a single goal. Let's just give him his little moment. It's all right. He can have his moment. Um, so, yeah, just a couple of things just to sort of start off with, just to sort of dive straight in. Um, we're well aware there was a delay with the, the previous episode. We are having a few technical issues with the whole editing situation. So there has been a delay there. So if you've seen this episode come out in short, in a short time frame to the previous, that would be why. So just to give you a heads up, um, we haven't disappeared. As I said, it's just a case of technology doing its thing. So this week we do actually have a full 10 games already done and dusted rather than a Monday night. But I can tell you now in the next few weeks, we will have a few Monday night fixtures. So much so that Jason is likely having to derail the schedule to watch Palace get smashed by Brighton. But Anyway, we will move on. We will move on. So we are obviously going to start with the televised games this week. And then as usual, in the middle segment, we have the predictions and around Europe with, of course, the Wheel of Fortune, to which we then come to the end where we discuss the final five fixtures, as well as our new predictions and, of course, who's up or down. And for once, Jace, don't know if you've uh, kind of worked this out, but... You haven't had a bad little week in the prediction. So oh, well, when I'll we come to that... I'm, I'm glad will... you've got that because... Um, <laughs> yeah, don't well. worry, I have. I tell you what, I've been done out. I've been screwed over with double points because I didn't whoa, whoa, whoa. fucking get any. Hang, um, on Hang on a minute. We gave you double points opportunity here. There's no screwing over it. Hey, I've had I've had three less fixtures to to get some points over. That's that's just not on. But hey, I had a bad week. I had a bad week. Anyway, we go to the first game. So I have got the schedule in front of me, and I've not done it in a traditional way. I've kind of kept us on our toes by sort of flipping them around a little bit here or there. Um, So we're not going to come to what would be the biggest games of the weekend. We're going to actually start on the Friday night fixture and go to St. James's Park first for Newcastle and Leeds. So obviously this was an interesting game. I think we touched on this uh, last week, Jace, where we said... This is going to be an interesting yep. one because it's two teams that leaking goals from all angles. Big mm-hmm. game. Leeds probably wouldn't have thought this would have been a big game. But the result obviously shows that Leeds just are not the Leeds of last season, are they? No. Played well, but equally, Newcastle... I mean, the draw on paper was basically the result. Both teams had chances. It was a good open game of football. But you know, Rafina, Rodrigo, we spoke about them last week. They did have good games for Leeds. But again, 
goal scoring. Banford missed, uh, you know, some a couple of chances. Again, we alluded to this. I don't think they're going to be in a relegation battle, but even that, I think, though, is, you know, naive to say at this point because when you look at the next three or four fixtures, if they don't beat West Ham, it depends what version of Watford turn up, and then Southampton, Wolves. You're looking at the end of October, maybe against Norwich, just the first time where they could maybe, well. Let's face it, they're definitely going to win that one. Um, but that aside, it's tough for them at the moment. And I don't think it's going to be quite the season maybe some fans had, um, had hoped. So uh, it could be a long season for them. Yeah, it's troublesome form. I said before, you know, this is this is starting to get to that stage where I haven't really seen anything to, to sort of prove otherwise that, that Leeds have got more to add I, I felt they were considering not much has changed for them they they seem a little bit lackluster up top their defense for some reason is just all over the place and they're just constantly leaking goals I mean they've both not won a game yet so no I guess you're kind of basing it on how they're both kind of playing and in well, a weird way, it. I feel like Newcastle seem to have a little bit more than Leeds up top so far because we saw in the game where they where they lost at the beginning of the season, was it, I can't remember who it was now, was it Villa? West Ham. Oh, West Ham, that's it, West Ham. I knew they wore claret. Um, where Newcastle was showing like they could score goals, but they were just so vulnerable at the back. But Leeds at times don't even really appear to offer that much. But I know they had a quite a, a decent game in that one because they both had a hell of a lot of attempts on goal. But at the end of the day, you know, it's one goal. And again, it's two players, St. Maximan and Rafinha, who you could argue are both way too good for the teams they're playing for. If you took that game and you took Rafinha out of Leeds and you took St. Maximum out of Newcastle, both would struggle, I think, to create. So, yeah, I still think, despite it being a good game, despite both teams creating chances, let's not elude ourselves here, but you could argue that both teams are defensively poor as well. So, whatever way you look at that, it's maybe put a plaster over the cracks because, you know... Well, there's, there's no argument. I don't think you know, anyone could argue it, Jace. You know, the only team that's conceded more than Leeds and Newcastle is Norwich. So one that's also struggling, um, showing a bit more form than probably Leeds and Newcastle, I'd say, but results not going their way. So Wolves-Brentford, another win for Brentford. That's... Uh, they're hitting oh, some heights, impressive. aren't they? But Wolves, on the other hand, for the first time, I feel they've actually lost a game and you could probably argue it could have been more even. So it was an odd how game, did you that see one. that one? It was an odd game. Um, Wolves, actually, to begin with, that first kind of 20, 25 minutes looked fairly comfortable on the counter against Brentford. And, you know, it seemed like it was only a matter of time. You know, Neves was running the midfield, picking it up and spraying it out. But, you know, we spoke about this. Wolves will be OK. Look, Wolves aren't going to be in a relegation battle. But, you know, they got put to the sword against a Brentford team that, yes, they're newly promoted, but 
there's no doubt in the you know the quality of their kind of front three but we say it all the time and it's almost a bit of a kind of fabrication the premier league is probably the most unforgiving league in europe when it comes to if you're on top for 10 15 minutes you've really got to make it count and that's the difference between the top teams and that's the difference between those that struggle to stay up i mean the difference in this game was triore if he hit that because he had a shot that hit crashed against the crossbar and i thought it was in if that goes in i believe that would have been one one yeah if that goes one one that's a different game this but, is something that we've been talking about for Wolves since since they, day one of this season. So unlu- they are, so but at the, at the same time, they're not like Triore oh. for once actually hit. You know, he's hit the crossbar, but previously he's he's been one on one, and he should have. And me and Jason said that's that's what makes him a thirty well, to forty million pound player rather than a sixty to eighty. And yeah, I was going to say that's what's let him down from getting him a big move to a bigger club. You know, I hear what you're saying, and I've defended Wolves, and I defended them so much so that I felt they should have come mm. away with three points against my own team. You know, they absolutely battered us. But how long can we go on for? Similar to Leeds and Newcastle, where you say I think they'll be okay. You know, they just can't score goals because the reality is. They've scored in one game out of five, and that was Watford. That's the only game that they've scored in. So they can't win games if they don't score. I'm going to be controversial here, and it may not be controversial to you two, but to Wolves fans it might. My opinion is the problem in that Wolves team is Adama Traore. It's not just the fact he can't get things on target, I counted, and this is when I was consciously counting while watching the game, there was three or four times where I think it was Trincao that was on the right-hand side for Wolves. You had Traore on the left and Trincao on the kind of right or drifting in. And there was two or three occasions where Traore was running with the ball and Trincao was screaming for the ball to be played into him. And... I think it was when maybe Traore's ball hit the bar, ironically. Trincao was clean through on that right-hand side and Traore completely ignored him. Completely ignored him. And and I don't think he ignored him, you know, on purpose. I'm not saying that. But my point is, Traore, I don't see it clicking. His passing out is awful. And that Wolves got themselves into some decent positions in that game. And it just didn't happen. And you look at the rest of that team, Matinho and Neves, they knew where to put the ball. And every time they put it, it went to the target, you know, out wide, right, switch to the left, whatever, because they know how to pass the ball. Adama Traore is great for pulling away defenders, but the problem that Wolves have, and it's a bit like Palace last season, is that, yeah, you might have Zaha pulling your defenders away, but where are you going to go with it after? And if you've created that space, if you haven't got the quality to finish that end ball. So I actually think Wolves probably should have tried to do the deal in the summer because I don't, I personally do not see Traore getting better at his end product. I don't. He's not the only one that's guilty of that though. No, but you follow, you follow that up. But when Podence come on, he was doing the same thing. No, no, no. But I'm talking about. The problem is though, some, (laughs) 
I guess you've kind of got her because someone's got to try and put the ball in the back of the yeah. net here because they're seeing Triore constantly get the ball and not do it. I mean, just to throw it out to you both, Triore, easily 150 league games. How many goals do you reckon he's got? About 20. Less than that. That's generous. I reckon a handful. He's got 12 goals. Yeah, see, that's ridiculous. 12 goals. He got two goals last season for Wolves, four goals the season before, his highest season total. And even this was even in the championship. This is in a borough side in the championship. He got five in 36 games. Now, for a big player who everything goes through, that, you cannot have that That's return. a lot. Damari Gray has, nearly, has scored more goals in four games this season than Triori, Triori got in 37 games last year. So I, I think for Wolves, their focal point will be, and I said this before, because I, I actually kind I rate the guy, to be honest, they desperately need Neto back ASAP. Because I think he is their main guy. I think everything you well last season it ran through him. I I genuinely feel he's the one. He's the one that came in to replace Yotta, who was their number one. So it's big problems. Look, I'm conscious we've spoken a lot about Wolves, Brentford though. I mean, where, where do we go with Brentford now? I, I mean, mean, they're five games in and oh, they're oh, on man, fire. Well, see, the thing is with Brentford, I looked at that Wolves game, and if if Wolves put them to the sword, I kind of thought, you know, Brentford would look like the naive Premier League team that, you know, Cookies alluded to that he thought they'd be where, you know, they get suckered in and don't really know how to play their way out of it. They stuck to their game plan, but when they got going, my God, they were unbelievable. I got to hold my hands up there. I was like... I think, well, obviously, we didn't know too much about Brentford. We do now. I mean, that back line, poor. That is a rock solid. That looks like a veteran back four that's been in the league for years. They all know what they're doing. They, the way you watch them, the way they talk and communicate, they're screaming and grabbing each other to pull them into positions. Every set piece or every ball that Wolves try to put in the box, I know we've spoke a lot about it, they were dealing with everyone. I think it was that Van Elt, I think his name is. He was running his socks. I've never seen a guy run so much doing both offensively and defensively. I mean, the guy, it, it was just unbelievable. Ivan Tony, I mean, he looks like a veteran striker. He was so cool, calm, and collected. And he's got, and he proved that he's got a final ball. He's not selfish to the team either. So, I, I've got to hold my hands up and say Jason's prediction at the beginning, that's looking not a half-bad shout. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably say Brentford are, well, so far the biggest surprise package of the season, but I think there might be one team further further ahead of them that are also giving them a, a run for their money for yeah, we won't surprise that, of Jason, the season. Though, he no, him. not yet, not yet. Funny enough, they both start <laughs> with the same two letters, though. But, you know, fair play to Brentford. Only two goals conceded. Um, you know, they're they're putting away teams and you 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 kind of feel that, you know, it's it's up and running. I mean, yes, you could argue that maybe the teams they faced are, you know, in and around, but they're the teams they need to beat, as we mentioned before. They don't need to worry about the big games. You know, they've got Liverpool up next, 
they probably don't need to worry about that because that probably wasn't down on their list. I mean, funny enough, they've got Liverpool, Chelsea and then Leicester, which is going to be interesting. Uh, and West Ham even in that one. But they're but, going into them runs with a lot of form. Yeah, and, and a lot of going to go and take three hits. Even if they get three points out of those, you know, four games, they'll be more than happy with that, I would have thought. Um, but yeah, for sure, happy days for Brentford. And, you know, that's, that's the kind of... Uh, performances we want to see when you get promoted <coughs> Norwich um anyway on to the next well I guess you could say surprise of the weekend because we land at the 5 30 kickoff and well Jace I don't know about you Cookie but who on earth saw that one coming Aston Villa 3 Everton nil. double burst for Everton I mean it completely blindsided me to be honest do you know one thing i i realized about everton and i know it might be a bit harsh because i probably wouldn't have said this before but i guess until you watch a game where it's it's kind of happening you don't really realize but i thought everton looked a little bit average when they got richarlison and calvert lewin in the team it just all of a sudden doesn't look quite as you know, when you talk about that big player, like you just start turning around yeah. looking for them. And, you know, Demarai, great, obviously he's had great form. Townsend's great form. But I mean, if we were looking at that at the beginning of the season without Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin, you'd be arguing, well, I think, Cookie, you alluded that you thought they finished 15th. And without them two, you could probably say that that squad's probably not the greatest um, up top. But it's not until, obviously, Gray and... Townsend have hit great form that you can kind of go well they probably should have a bit about them but Villa exposed them at set pieces I, I, I think they did expose them a little bit at set pieces I think they had a couple didn't they you scored from a couple of set pieces well I mean to be fair I've never been sold on Michael Keane and Yeri Mina to be fair yes you know with Benitez at the helm you could probably say they're going to be probably as well organised as they can be between the two, but I don't think they're defensively great players, to be honest. I think they're both... Keane's just always been a bit meh. You know, came from Burnley. Yeah, I wouldn't say... I'd say he was a almost like what Arsenal were looking at with Ben White, that kind of can he step up. He's never really, I think, gone on to be... Any, any better than Tarkovsky is at Burnley. Um, so I've never rated him much. And Yeri Minas, I've, I've, similar to Davinson Sanchez at Spurs, I've always thought he's had a bit, got a bit of that rashness in him. And if it wasn't for Everton's fullbacks, to be honest, I'd probably be a bit concerned. I know they've got problems with Hammers. I mean, there's talk of him finally moving on because he's still not over the divorce to Ancelotti. But you compare the two squads on the day with Villa and Everton, Villa have got so much more quality to bring on. I mean, Bailey did 20 minutes worth of damage, scored, got an assist, came off. I'm not hitting the panic button here for Everton at all because I, I do think they're, you oh, know, no. they've been very good this season and I don't think Benitez would ever allow them to, to sort of sink. But I think it was a bit of a warning sign that 
you know, we've got to remember that these players like Townsend and Bray didn't didn't hit the big heights because their clubs didn't feel they were good enough. Bray still looks like he's got a lot more than I think Leicester have let one go there. We've, I mean, when you still look at the fact that they've got all Brighton and players like that, it makes me wonder what on earth happened there. But yeah, a bit concerning that game. I did not expect Villa to be the team of all. That would be turning them over 3 0. Brilliant goals in that game as well, to be fair. Matty Cash. Yeah, Matty Cash's goal was good and Bailey just smacked it. I show when players see when players go for these side foots, sometimes you've just got to put it down that goalkeeper's throat. Because even if his hands were there, you know, it would have probably taken them off. I mean, you we're gonna Quite come refreshing. to a, a situation. You know, which happened in the 94th minute over in uh, Stratford and and say, why on earth do you just not smack that ball? And funny enough, I guess we can roll straight into that then. So, Jason, I know you've got a bit to say about this one. Uh, we do go over to uh, the old East End. So West Ham and United, two headlines there. Well, three, really. Ronaldo again. Jesse Lingard showing West Ham what they're missing and well one of the more bizarre situations we've seen all season mark noble of all people coming onto the pitch to take a 94th minute penalty Jesus and <laughs> tapping it let's just say to david de Gea, eh? so where do we start should we start with the uh the main man up top you know his class is permanent isn't he brilliant movement again brilliant finish and there was no debate. He didn't stop for VAR and think, am I offside? He put his foot through it. And, um, I mean, there was no debate in it, really, was there? West Ham, on the other hand, I still don't know what David Moyes was thinking, to be honest. Well, I'm, I'm, I was led to believe that if no ball wasn't on the pitch, it was Declan Rice. Well, Declan Rice had the ball, on the, the ball in his hand. Noble came on and took it off him, which baffles me even more. But what baffles me even more than that is if you're going to come on cold and you're a seasoned penalty taker like Noble is, it was such a poor penalty. There was not even any power in it, for Christ's sake. I mean, look, I'll, I'll sum up the game from a West Ham fan. I got a message from a West Ham fan earlier, right? Um, that was so West Ham yesterday. On comes Mr West Ham to make a massive cock-up. Bunch of dicks. <laughs> That was the summary of the game. I think they just need to leave Mark Noble in the past, don't you? Because that's West Ham of old to me. I mean... I just I don't understand. It's the last kick of the game. You need someone that can channel that energy where, that they've had throughout the game. And Declan Rice is that person. I'm sure he's taken penalties before. I, I just... It was madness. It to be honest, crazy. I didn't think West Ham played that badly during the game. They were in the game. Oh, no, the majority of it, they did not play badly at all. I just, no, I still can't understand. I why, just don't understand why. Because that was a VAR decision. So it's not like David Moyes thought of it within 30 seconds. Right, we've got a penalty. I've got to get Noble on. He had three or four minutes to decide while uh, VAR uh, were deciding to make their mind up. I just don't think. I thought he overthought it a little bit and overmanaged the situation. I. I don't think, to be honest, that it's easy for me to say because I'm not paid to be a manager, but I don't think there was a decision to make. It's 2-1. No. It's the 94th minute, last kick of the game. 
you give it to your nominated player from that starting 11 who was nominated to take the penalties. What that says to me is whoever that nominated penalty taker was, is that David Moyes doesn't have full confidence in that player. Because if that penalty was 10 minutes earlier or 15 minutes earlier, Mark Noble is not on that pitch. No, that'd be Declan Rice. It would have been Declan Rice. So how does Declan Rice feel coming off after that game, having the penalty taken off him? It was just such a strange... I mean, there were other players on that field for West Ham that I'm sure have taken penalties before. I mean, you've got Ben Rama, who's made a great start to the season. I mean, surely he's taken penalties for Brentford in the past. I just... You know? I, I don't get it. I, I can't... I don't understand either. It's just crazy. Wrong for the life of me, you've gone into a game with a game plan, and that game plan is, Declan Rice, you're our penalty taker. It's not like we're talking in an FA Cup final. This is an opportunity to get a Premier League point. And for him to do that in the form that Declan Rice is in, even now talking about it, it baffles me. I don't get what David Moyes is thinking. I mean, that was a completely mad five or six minutes, to be honest, because I think West Ham's were still trying to pick up their jaws off the floor when they saw their hero from last year do exactly what he did for West Ham last year. What's your thoughts on Jesse Lingard? I mean, that's 45 minutes of football so far this season and he's got two. It still seems an odd decision to me for Lingard to stay around. Now, clearly he's going to get some game time with United, but... It's not for me, he's be, ahead of Sancho, though, now at the minute. It's not going to be enough for him to get in the World Cup squad next year. He's took a massive gamble. He's took a massive gamble. But look, Rayola's his agent now. Maybe he just wants one big payday because obviously he'll pocket. The only thing I can think as to why he stayed is to maybe rock the apple cart a little bit United and then walk out with a you know, good financial payout at the end of it when he gets decided on fee. But... You know, fair play to him. He's come in now and that's a, a big, big goal. It was a big, big goal for United. Solskjaer, I'm still not convinced on. I'm still, I'm not having the win in the league because that game, in large parts of it, West Ham looked really good. Um, and they've got to be a lot better than that if they go on, want to go on to win a trophy. At the end of the day, Man United would be happy they got the three points. I think West Ham would be livid as, as that West Ham fan sort of contacted you about Jace, but at the same time, still a still sort of good signs from West Ham and, and so much so they probably would have felt that they could have come away with, with something in that game and just a bit of weird management there. But um, it wasn't to be and Man United continue sitting pleasantly at the top of the table, they would say, well, near the top anyway, joint joint points behind on goal difference. So we do, and it pains me to say, we do go to the, the team that currently is sitting top of the table because the final televised fixture was that of Sunday, 4.30. So Tottenham-Chelsea, 3-0 um, Chelsea winners. I guess it, it makes sense for me to sort of Put my uh, put the pin in it and and discuss it briefly before handing it over to you. Um, in a weird way, it was it was kind of a tale of two halves, but I also said it was a tale of two managers because for all the first half that Spurs had, I mean, uh, 
getting you know to the half hour mark, I think Chelsea were were a little rocked. They they didn't seem to know what to to do with the Spurs attack. Um, we were, and I mean Thiago Silva looked knackered after half hour because he was literally heading absolutely everything, corner after corner. But the one thing I thought was we dominated so much and and really didn't do anything with it. And it's just a, you know, a difference in quality that two teams can have one half each. One can do nothing with it and the other can do everything with it. I mean, Tuchel's got them in at half time, identified where it was going wrong, made one sub. That was all it took, one sub. And it, it, it bewilders me that Kante is not in that starting lineup every game because the guy just, just put it on its head. And it's just a difference in quality and a difference in quality both on the pitch and off, I think, because I just... Uh, it, there's been talk that Nuno's... He's a bit inept when it comes to tactics. You know, I thought he did really well identifying at the beginning of the game what to do with Chelsea. But when it comes to them, it's instinctive moments where a manager has to show their value. I think Tuchel's shown why he's at the top of his game. And Nuno just, well, just really didn't have an answer for it. I'd be really worried if I was a Spurs fan, which is odd because, <laughs> because I, said, I said before the international break, Scott told me not to get so excited, but I did say, you know, they're top of the league, played 3-1-3, not playing particularly great, but they're still getting points and they've kept Harry Kane. You're looking for leaders in that team and I'd say there's a lack of leaders, aside from kind of Son, Kane and Lloris. I don't see any, you know, Hoijberg, okay, you could say, but I don't really see any real figureheads that are strong enough to carry that team along and get them in gear. And I'll just share some quick stats with you. And football's not all about stats, but as a club for Spurs, and with the players that they have on paper, this would be a concern. Shots, 19th. Shots allowed, so as in shots they've been afforded, 18th. Goals, 17th. Possession, 15th. Successful pressing and pressure, 20th. Percentage of tackles won in a game, 19th. Progressive carries, 19th. Progressive carry distance, 20th. So they can't get the ball in the net. They can't win the ball back off teams. And when they do have the ball, which is at a very limited amount at the moment, they can't carry the ball forward. Now, you can tell me... Alice, it was clear there was gaps. But Son and Kane have only missed, what, one game each for Spurs? So they've not been, you know, they've had their key players in for most of their games. And I worry for Spurs. I mean, I watched Spurs against Palace. We'll go back, I'll go back one, because obviously I missed one. And they just looked lethargic. There was no game plan. Harry Kane was walking around the pitch. I mean, your new right back, Emerson Royale, 
Oh my god, he just looked unbelievably. I know Zaha beats a lot of fullbacks. Granted, he's one of the best in the league. But my god, he ripped them apart. And Marcus Alonso yesterday, every time that ball went down Tottenham's right hand side, I feared for the guy. Every time it was just frightening. Um that I, I saw this coming a mile off. I said Harry Kane was gonna stay and it was gonna be a shot on the foot. You know, you had your chance to sell him this year. Daniel Levy was going to be so stubborn. He wasn't going to take the money. He's like, Harry Kane's going to lead us to, you know, a trophy and a bit more and a lot more success. No, he wasn't. You know, his his head was at Man City for me. Um, I don't know what's happened. I mean, I know Son's been carrying an injury since international, so I'll cut him a bit of slack. But yeah, I mean, Tottenham are going backwards. They're they're joining, and unfortunately, they're going away. Arsenal are the minute. No, no, I was up. Well, I say optimistic. I mean, nine. You think three out of three? You think great? Three one nil wins. Happy days. You know, you got your points on the board, but the Palace game for me told a lot more than yesterday's game with Chelsea, because Chelsea are just that good at the minute. I mean, what do, what do you do? Do you drop Harry Kane now? For me... Because I know you've mentioned it before that you you play better without him in the team. Well, it's evident. It's evident we play better without him because the best performance we've had was without him. And we and everyone goes on about Harry Kane season after season. And we've done it before. When Kane was injured and whatnot, we actually played well without him because people couldn't deal with the whole Son, Lucas, Lamella rotation. Lo and behold, the opening day against Man City, Man City don't know who to go to. Do you go to Son? Do you go to Bergvine? Do you go to Lucas? Look, no, no team has had what Tottenham have had to deal with in the international break. That's that's the first thing for definite. You know, it's it's the worst timing we could have you know, had. Villa could argue that with Martinez and Buendia. Well, yeah, but would you say that's more important than a backline no, that has conceded a single goal a, in the first three games? Spurs had an honest injury crisis in that international break, to be fair. They're missing Son, Bergerwein. Um, I could have made that excuse for Arsenal start. No, no. Yeah, but <laughs> the difference is, Cookie, though, Arsenal had conceded nine goals in those first three games. Spurs had You've conceded, conceded six in the last two. Yeah, after <laughs> international break. That's the point. Don't forget with Spurs, after that international break, they were missing Sanchez, Romero, Lacelso, Son and Bergwijn. That's half a team. Our back line was, you know, bearing in mind, Davidson, Sanchez and Dyer hadn't conceded a single goal. And then we have to come back. And they weren't even with the squad. They were no. still in isolation. We didn't know what on earth was going on. You had Lacelso out there. You had the whole situation where well, Bergwijn was injured. Lucas is obviously not fully fit. Son's injured. I mean, I'm not making excuses in that regard. I was say, is that what... not down to the management or the ownership? No. Well, no, it's down to neither, in my opinion. Because... Or is it just players just going off doing what they want? Well, I don't even think the Premier League know the answer. No, no. That's, what That's I mean. the I... problem. I don't think... Spurs, in any way, management or ownership or whatever, can be blamed for the international debacle that happened. I don't want to paper over these cracks because there's clearly a problem with Spurs. I mean, look, 3-0 down to Chelsea, personally, I would have pulled off Harry Kane. 
I would have made a point mm. and just said, what the fuck are you doing? Because that guy has, has done nothing for Spurs so far this season except give us grief. The one game where we looked the best, and everyone says it, was Man City, and he wasn't even involved in the game. So, if anything, what good has he done? And if you're 3-0 down to Chelsea, you've got a chance there to make a point in a big game whereby you can turn around and go, well, look, you know, we're clearly not winning this game with you on the pitch. Pull him off. I just think, look, Spurs are too one-dimensional with Kane in the pitch. And, you know, I think it was Roy Keane or Graham Soon, one of them said, he's trying to do too much. Kane, oh, look, yeah. last season, right, if I was to ask you both, when you think of Harry Kane last season, incredible season, what was everyone impressed with about Harry Kane last season? He's creative. Exactly. So you've got a striker who's there to score your goals. And all the plaudits are about, look at his passing, look at this, look at that. Don't get me wrong, it's a great element to his game. But if you're going to applaud the guy for that, and Jace, you, oh, I must sound like a broken record here. How many times have I said Harry Kane is not a number nine? Yeah. There's a reason he wears number 10. He's not an out and out. He's not Alan Shearer. He might break his record. But he is not Alan Shearer. He's more Wayne Rooney than he is Alan Shearer. Oh, that's an interesting debate. Do you think he would break it if he... If well, not at the chance. moment. But um, I, I just personally think if you... Look, Deli Alley, there is no... For me, Deli Alley, take him out, put Kane in Deli Alley's position and let the front three rotate. There's something there that Nuno can do where he could turn around and say, I did that. No one else has done it before with Kane, if he wants to pick up the ball and drop deep, put him in the position and let him do it. If shit hits the fan, you've got two strikers on the pitch. I just don't understand the problem with it. I mean, Spurs now, we've got Arsenal at the weekend. Hmm. You've got Wolves in the EFL Cup. You've got a European game. And then you've got Villa, Newcastle, West Ham and Man United. I mean... These games are going to come thick and fast for Spurs now, so something needs to give sooner or say, later. He ain't got a lot of time to get things right. Has he, he has not got a lot of time, and you know I'm sure we'll be discussing that further down the line. As for Chelsea, look, I don't want to ramble on about Spurs because I I think Chelsea have shown why they are, you know, at the top of their game. There's players that haven't been on form for years that are just coming to the front again. Alonso, Kovacic to name two. Um, Alonso looks like he's gone back about five years in that position. He's on, I mean, if that goal had gone in, you would have had a goal of a season contender with that volley. Um, especially when bearing in mind you've got Chilwell, who can't seem to get a look in. Um, I mean, surprisingly, we're not talking about Chelsea and Man City, bearing in mind that's the game on Saturday at 12.30. It's looking like it's a bit of Chelsea and Liverpool this season, but um, yeah, Chelsea, different quality. Just quickly, what's your thoughts on Kante not starting? Do you get it? Or is it just a case of rotating with Champions League? Because I know he was injured for a couple of games, but he's not actually played a full 90 minutes so far this season. Has he not? No. Wow. To be honest, I think he's just a victim of Chelsea have been so good and the players that are stepping in for them at the right times are doing the jobs they need to do. Um, so 
he is handy as a, I seem to remember when Lampard was in charge, and I'll keep this real quick, but when Lampard was in charge, he tried to kind of fit him in kind of wide right of the midfield, and it just didn't work. So I don't see him playing that more advanced position for Mountain Havertz. And, you know, when you've got Kovacic and Jorginho playing the way they are at the moment, so it's a tough one to crack, uh, a good problem to have. But yeah, you're right. I think probably an element of rotation in there, to be honest. I mean, even when you look at the the options off the bench for midfield, Sal Niguez, who hasn't made the best of starts, but you've still got, you know, you've still got hudson Adoys, Reese Jameses, who can come in that kind of right-hand side. Ziyech was on there. And obviously they didn't have Pulisic playing either. So... Don't think you need to read anything too deeply in it, other than squad depth and whatever's working's working. And look, Tuchel at the end, they don't care. You know, if results are going his way, it's a squad game. It's a thirty-eight game season. You know, things, other competitions will crop up later in the year. The winter, you know, December, Jan. So he'll catch up with them, and he'll probably make his mark. But yeah, I wouldn't read anything other than that, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, no, they do look good. Fair play to them. Um, in, in bearing in mind, they did what they did in one half and just absolutely ruined Spurs. Um, just shows the difference in quality. So you know, can't argue it. Um, so yeah, we we summarised the televised games in a pretty respectable time for once, and we move on to the middle segment. So. We start with the predictions from last week. So we had three games, which we all picked. Um, none of them were, you know, and we didn't actually pick any big games, to be honest. Um, the first being the Norwich-Watford game. Can anyone remember their predictions from last week? No idea. No idea. No? Well... Myself and you, Jace, thought it would be a one-all draw. And Cookie was the only one brave enough to think that Watford would pick up the win. But you said 2-1, Cookie, rather than 3-1. But it still oh, gets you an a... extra goal. Damn it. Yeah. And it gets you a point nonetheless, which puts you on level pegging with Jace this season. Puts you both on five points, and I'm still sitting there on nine. Next, we go to Brighton Leicester. And... Uh, Ding, ding, ding. Someone got the correct scoreline. Jace, you pick up your three points of the season. Brighton Yay. two, Leicester one. Happy days. Um, so, yeah, I mean, clearly you saw something there with Brighton and, and Leicester, um, which I'm sure you'll maybe come on to in the, in the second half because clearly you thought oh. they were there for the taking. And Cookie, you also said 1-0 to Brighton. Uh, which gets you another point. So, funny enough, the only one that's confident in Brighton this season said it would be a one-all draw, fuck's sake. Um, finally, <laughs> bearing in mind we just put them to the sword and praised Brentford so much, none of us got that scoreline right because we all said that Wolves would beat them. So, myself and Cookie said 2-0 and Jace, you said 3-1. So... Yeah, that didn't really go to plan, did it? Um, no points there. So for the first time, I will say, I didn't get any points. It's definitely a week for you both. So now that sees me on nine points. Jace, you've shot up with eight points. 
and Cookie, you're on still a respectable six. So marathon, not a sprint. Three points in it, not bad. Well, now we move on to the highly anticipated segment of the show. I think my energy firm is about to go bust and the electricity's cut off for my stash. <laughs> well, we move on to around Europe and uh, this is where we have a minute to discuss what's been going on. Let's get on with this then. So we're spinning the wheel. So as usual, we have La Liga Championship, Bundesliga, Serie A uh, and my favourite, Uber Eats. Anyway, Jesus. Cookie, your league is... Ooh, you are discussing Serie A. Serie A, okay. You better do this one justice, Cookie, I swear. Your time uh-huh. starts now. So, we're only four games into Serie A at the minute, and currently leading the table are Inter Milan following up from their title win after absolutely destroying Bologna 6-1. We're followed by closely by their arch-rivals AC Milan, who managed to get a 1-1 draw with relegation candidate Juventus. We've also got Napoli following in. We've got Napoli, Roma and Fiorentina all on nine points even though we've just seen tonight as Napoli have just played and beaten Udinese 4-0. Juventus, Juventus. Now, where do we begin? Two points from four games. I'd jack it in right now. and No wonder why Ronaldo left. Also, special mention to Atalanta. Seven points from four games. Beat bottom of the table. Thank you. Thank you. Your time is up. Thank you very much. So that's Serie A. Taken out. What about Spezia cookie? No, you didn't cover Spezia. Verona beat and Roma. Roma lost at the weekend. Roma did lose. Well, you didn't cover Yeah, that it. was a that was a big one. Roma oh, losing that. Lose. Cool. Hey ho, Jace. Your league is you have the <laughs> Uh dear, you have the joys of discussing La Liga. Well, I'll take about 10 seconds. Cookie, wow. you may count him in. Your 10 seconds start about now. So I'll start on Friday. Pretty pointless game. Can't beat Celtic Vigo 2-1 on paper. That's quite a, you know, shock. Saturday, it didn't get much more exciting, really. You had Atletico Madrid play, but it was nil-nil against Bilbao. Good game on paper, but, you know... Didn't live up to hype. Elsewhere, Osasuna beat Alaves 2-0. El Slavente ended 1-1. And Velicheno beat Getafe 3-0. Probably the best game of the weekend. Then we move on to Sunday. And, well, Valencia-Real Madrid. Real Madrid snuck a win in. Two betters Espanyol. Sociedad Sevilla. Four off, 0-0. And Villarreal Mallorca. What a load of rubbish, 0-0. I guess the biggest news of today really falls to today. And that is that Barcelona have scored a last-minute equaliser in the 90th minute to draw 1-1 with Granada. 
Madrid top, five, 13 points from five, followed by Atlético, Valencia and Sociedad. There you go. And there you go. Tough, tough. Right. Uh, dear. Right. Let's see who I land on then. Here we go. It just loves me. Absolutely loves me. I have got Uber Eats. Well, PSG should be all smiles so far this season, bearing in mind that at the weekend they also turned over Leon 2-1, but things are already starting to look a little messy in Paris. God forbid you substitute a player these days for not putting in a performance. Not even a shake of the hand between the two Argentinians is something already going on there. Elsewhere, there were wins with Marseille and Lens, who are currently second and third. And Angers were spanked 4-1 at home, which puts them behind the pack. It was only going to get them so far, wasn't it? So, looking at the tables, things are still looking a little bit shaky at the bottom with St Etienne, Rennes, Lille and Monaco still sitting down there. Lille losing 1-0 to Lens, as already mentioned. You've got Nice that drew 2-0 to Monaco, so Nice is doing, still doing quite well towards the top of the table. Um, but, of course, then you've got Leon. Get out! Already? You're on one minute and 2.8 seconds. Oh, that went, that flew by. All the messy story takes up that minute then. In fairness, the messy story was the big one, wasn't it? Yeah, that goes to show you, doesn't it, eh? Messi in Paris in Farmers League, not going so well. Ronaldo at the top of his game in the hardest league in the world. Who'd have thought it? So the final two leagues then fall down to the Championship and Bundesliga. So, Cookie... You are getting... You have the championship, my friend. Oh, lovely. Oh, for God's sake. Three, two, one, off Well, we'll start with the big story of the championship where Derby County, who I've been keeping a close eye on, gone into administration, guaranteed a doctor 12 points, possibly a further nine However, that didn't stop them on the pitch where they comfortably beat Stoke City 2-1. You've also got the leaders up there. Bournemouth, the early leaders, went getting a good 1-0 away win at Cardiff. There were wins for Fulham. Oh, no, so, uh, excuse me. They lost again to Redden. There were draws at the top there for West Brom, Coventry and Blackburn. At the bottom, Nottingham Forest finally got off the bottom with their first win against Sheffield United, uh, against Huddersfield, sorry. Unfortunately, though, Hull, Peterborough and Swansea all battling with Derby down the bottom. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Hey, you uh, you hit a bit of a, a stumble then. I did get a bit of a stumble. I got excited about Derby. That's what happened. Uh, that was funny. I could tell you hit. You said something, and then that was it. Derailed your whole. Yeah, I got excited one. about Derby. Bit of a boring top of the table, though. Bournemouth, Fulham, and West Brom. Oh Christ! Could be worse. Could be Stoke. <laughs> anyway, we go on to the last one, Jace. No need for me to spin my wheel of fortune. I could tell by your response that you're delighted you've landed on the old Bundesliga. 
However, probably one of the more interesting leagues so far this season. So let's see what you've got to say on that one, Cookie, when you're ready. Bundesliga, three, two, one, go. So Friday started off with a modest 2-1 win for Hertha Berlin. We get into Saturday and on paper, it wasn't that entertaining. A few nil-nil draws, a couple of, or one 1-0 win and a 1-1 draw, Leipzig and Köln. Biggest talking point, surprise, surprise, Bayern beat Bochum 7-0. Pretty comfortable there. So goals galore in Germany yet again. We go over to Sunday, which is seemingly the main day for um, Bundesliga. Stuttgart lost 3-1 to Leverkusen. Leverkusen down to 10 men, but they carry on their rich vein of form. Dortmund, 4-2 winners over Union Berlin. Haaland amongst the goals again with a brace. And Wolfsburg draw 1-1 to Frankfurt. What does it mean in the table, I hear you ask? Bayern and Wolfsburg, joint top respectively, um, 13 points. Uh, Dortmund third in one twelve, and Leverkusen complete the four. Bottom three, Much and Gladbach. You may be surprised. There you go. I thought you was going to be the first one to sum it up in the minute there, Jace. You were on fire. Just stumbled at the last second. That was Much and Gladbach's fault. It took me about five. Yeah, it took you 20 <laughs> seconds to say it. Bit of a surprise though. Munch and Gladbach tied on points with Leipzig, eh? Not going well for Leipzig this season. Early days. It is early days, yeah. You're absolutely right. Four games in. Not really much to sort of discuss there. And then we come on to the final segment. Back to the Premier League. So, where do we start? Well, there's only one team I like to talk about these days. Or not. I'll talk about Watford instead. Sar on form. Watford three. Norwich one. Well... I'll let you two start with this one because so, I don't want to upset any more Norwich fans, that's for sure. The, the, the first thing I want to allude to is, Scott, did you... I messaged you on Friday, I think, or Saturday. Did you listen I, to that clip? Yeah, fuck. Yeah. What stood out for you? Well, nothing... I've got to be honest, I don't know what that one point was. Oh. Um, I'll tell you what But, it I was. mean, the fact that he... You know, that the fact that he seems so content that, that Norwich were almost doomed to fail in a way. I think he said something along the lines of, you know... I'll give you his words. And this is the thing that really would irk me as a Norwich City fan. So they were talking about the form or whatever, and as you say, he was quite relaxed about the whole situation, to be honest. He was quite chirpy about it. But he goes on, well, there's many... Th- oh, he was talking about it being a must-win game. And he says, well... You all say there must win games for Norwich. It was the week before and it is now and da-da-da. Well, it would be because you're positioned in the league. But he also said, oh, people forget we're, we're the only self-sustained league, uh, club in the league. Every time I bloody hear that, the oh, self-sustained bullshit. How many, oh, points, don't. how many points a season does be in the only league's self-sufficient team? I mean, this is this is my point with Norwich fans, and this is what drives me up the wall. And 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 it, I can tell it's got quite bad, Jace, because you were at one point were defending that that you know Norwich shouldn't go out of their way to ruin what they've got and whatnot. But it gets a little bit embarrassing in the end, doesn't it? And they can't even they can't even talk as I said last time. They can't even talk about the fact that they're not trying to stay up and whatnot when they've spent a 
a hefty chunk of money in the end this season on players that we don't hardly know anything about. And do you know what annoyed me more about this particular game with Norwich? The fact that they were actually spanked by their promoted rivals on their own Mm. ground. So do you know Watford spent 17 million this season? Mm. Sissoko, they spent 3 million on. Emmanuel Dennis, they spent 3.6 million on. And Imran Lauzer was 9 million. That's all they've spent this season. Norwich was 59 million. So they've been spanked by a rival who now has a manager that me and Jason alluded to is probably, in our opinion, going to be the first to be thrown at the chopping board when it gets to it. No experience of being anywhere in English football. And yet they've been absolutely rinsed. How far does this get get Norwich here? Because I'm sick of them already. There's two things that stand out for me. And again, I'm not knocking their business model. It's a, on paper, it's a great business model. But to a point, it has to translate to results on the pitch. It can't just be great balance sheet and, you know, whatever. And it wasn't so bad for me. I didn't find it as bad initially. But the last couple of weeks, I've noticed, you know, Vark especially making the remarks of, you know, people say it's a must-win game when it's a 38-league game season. Well, of course it is when you're five games in and you've not won a game and not picked up a single point and then you're playing your relegation rivals in a big six-pointer at home. Of course it's a must-win. So that's my first point. And the second point is the fans, clearly, because I've had a look on social media is always a good barometer as to the fans' engagement with it. And even they are sick to the side of Fark now and his decisions. I don't know if you saw the the TFD Twitter, Jace. <laughs> Apparently, and this is this is the attitude that annoys me, right? And it's just this arrogance of youngsters don't have a voice at football. One Norwich supporter, I won't name because there's no need, their comment was so many young people booing at Fark post-match. Yes, it was poor, but grow up go count your Pokemon cards. So that is the adult Norwich (laughs) fans' attitude, apparently, these days, that the youngsters don't have a voice. And maybe it's a bit refreshing that Norwich actually have some supporters that won't accept mediocrity for once. I think we spent too much time talking about it and we'll move on. You've gone over the same points over and over and over again because... We keep referring back to it. I know it's true. For me, they are a non-club. What? They'll go down, they'll get their parachute payments, they'll come back up. They've got a puppet in, as a manager because they're not going to sack him. Because who are you going to get in as manager who's going to do what he does? Well, he doesn't do anything unless he's in the championship. He's a whipping boy. I just, if you're a fan of Norwich, from your in their from their perspective, I don't see how you can sit there every week and be happy listening to a manager going, "We're the most sustained, well-run club." Da 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 da. For that money spent, you need to see upturn and results, and not in the championship. You know they bought for the Premier League, and the difference in the I said it last week, 
their director of football or whoever's in charge of recruitment got plaudits for spending the best part of 60 million pounds. Well, Palace spent 72 million. I know the wage structure and everything will be different, blah, blah, blah. But I'll say it again. Look at the quality of player that Palace have brought in compared to Norwich. They said that hopefully they've learnt the lessons of the previous time in the Premier League coming up this time. They haven't. They're about to set the record for the worst team in, in a Premier League season, I think, the way they're not, going. Not a single one of their players would get in. And I include, I'm sorry, I include Todd Campwell in this. And that's why he didn't get his transfer in the end, I don't think. I wouldn't have a single one of their players in my team, apart from maybe Max Aarons. If I'm any team in that Premier League, I, I look at the fixtures and think, oh, when are we playing Norwich? Because they're a real soft touch, they are. They play our music, but they play our entrance theme at their own ground so the away fans can settle in, you know, and all this, that and the other. They welcome ex-players with open arms and applaud and lick their arse for the whole game. I would look forward to it. I saw a couple of fans when Leicester went to Norwich and they were basically eating out of James Madison's arse. I mean... I'd... Any other club who loses 15 Premier League games in a row would sack their manager. Well, the other thing is this, and let's not spend too much time on them because this is only a three o'clocker, but put it in perspective... People talk about Burnley being a tough place to go. People talk about Selhurst being a tough place to go. People talk about Watford being a tough place to go. Huh? Norwich is a really good place if you want to get your ass licked and your cock sucked because they really are shit. <laughs> I was going to say, that's summed up lovely there. Anyway, um, look, it would be rude of us to not mention Watford because once again, you know, they showed a decent performance for the second time this season yes it was only Norwich um, they probably could have done it playing backwards big question to you both then are they both going down this season Ooh. I would say I still think yes I still don't think I think Watford will be too inconsistent I think based on what we've seen the fact that Watford have looked awful for three ga- then three games that they've lost I think mm. they'll be 18th all right so we move on to the next game and I guess we could maybe summarise this one quite quickly or maybe not because I think we were a little bit surprised and I do think we have got something to discuss off the pitch as well as on because we go to the empty head where Man City draw nil-nil with Southampton and all of Pep's cries fall on deaf ears, don't they, Cook? Not half, do they? I mean, that's played a factor. I mean, if you're a player in that team and you see your manager and your fans going at it, you're thinking, what on earth is going on? I mean, I get Pep's point, but does it need to be said? The stats astound me more than anything with this game with Man City. One shot on target. Mm. All the quality that that team has got. And I mean, they had Gundogan, they had... Bernardo Silva, Sterling, Grealish, Jesus, De Bruyne come on, Mara's come on, Foden come on. What's going on with Guardiola and Man City then? What what is the problem, do you think? You can have all the quality you want, but Pep has tried time and again to tweak an experiment with the team. 
he did it in the Champions League final um, against Chelsea and he tried to kind of play Gundogan and Foden together and not have that natural holding midfielder and it blew up in his face. This season, he's tried to be a bit cute on the centre-forward position. Obviously, they wanted Harry Kane. They didn't get him, but it showed they ordered, their striker that they wanted, they had all their eggs in the Harry Kane basket. And I said, is, it a sign of, is it a sign of him being a bit arrogant now and thinking he's too good? No, I don't think so. I think there's a couple of problems here. One is the lack of natural centre-forward, and two the form of Raheem Sterling. I thought he was going to hit the ground running after the Euros in the early part of the season, but something's amiss with Sterling. De Bruyne has obviously only just come back from injury. So they've got big, big problems because it doesn't matter how good you are, you need that natural vocal point. In La Liga, the false nine and what Barcelona used to do with Messi, Neymar and not really have a striker and the way Spain used to play with no recognised centre forward, that works because in that league, it's more technical and it's a lot slower. In the Premier League, you don't get afforded that. If you're going to play a striker that's not naturally a striker up front, you just get eaten up. And that don't matter who you're playing. How many times did Aguero bring the likes of Sterling and Mares and the wide players and Sane when he was there into play because he shuffled defenders along? They don't have that in that team. Now, Torres has you know, shown potential for that, but it's too much. Too much of I will team. say one thing on the defence this year. I mean, Ruben Diaz looks half the defender he was last year. I mean, Carl Walker got away with murder against Southampton with the penalty and the red card. This past week's been a bit of a weird one, hasn't it? Because you had the Guardiola comment on the, on the fans in the stadium in, in midweek, you know, saying I'd like more than 38,000 to show up, which I think rubbed them up the wrong way. But there was also um, points being made about the way he treated Mares and Grealish in the game against Leipzig, where, well, especially Mares, he he publicly, you know, on the side Ruined of the him. pitch, you could really make out what he was saying. He he absolutely slated the guy, and a lot of fans were unhappy about it because they were the two players that kind of led them to their to their victory. So. Things seem to be a little bit tense between Guardiola and City. And, you know, I, I think they they voiced that in that game against Southampton. But the big argument, really, is the fans showed up to watch that. And yeah. so what do we make of Southampton? I mean, not doing too badly. Um, well, I say that. Two, two points against City and United. Well, um, that was my point, yeah. And West Ham. They have played Let's well. They have done well. They've played well. Um, the only thing I will say on them again, they will, and I think I'm, I'm without repeating myself, but previous, but I think they just need to be mindful now. Obviously, that's three draws on the bounce. City, West Ham and Newcastle. They just need it's actually to four draws on the bounce, really, draws, if you yeah. talk about Man United and all. But well, say I, two you points say... for them again, though, I'd say. I'd say let, two yeah, points that's game. what I was going to say. Do you think the fans would be unhappy about that, really? I mean, I would they have taken a draw against Newcastle if they knew they were going to get a draw against City, West Ham and Man United? I mean, you could argue that. I guess, look, the, the problem in this league is it's all about momentum and it's great that they've got, you know, four draws, but... I guess on the flip side, you look at their next fixture 
or fixtures coming up. They've got Wolves at home. That could be their opportunity this week. For the win. Uh, but then they've got Chelsea away and then they've got Leeds at home. So I think for them, the next three games are crucial. Not that Chelsea one, but the two either side of that against Wolves and um, Leeds. I mean, they've got what, what Wolves, Leeds and Burnley at home in a row. That's That's pretty... Pretty good. And then they've got Villa and Norwich. So they won't be interested in Chelsea, but six games, they'd be more than happy, I think, with them ones coming up. I do think, even looking ahead, I know they've got decent fixtures, but I do think the next three um, are pretty critical for them because if they don't start turning draws into wins, you know, Wolves and then Leeds very quickly, that Burnley game all of a sudden could look like a tough one. Then you've got Watford away. You know, you don't know what Watford's going to turn up, so the pressure could really start to... That Wolves game, if they don't win, they then have Chelsea, which, presuming the script goes as it should there, they've then got two home games against Leeds and Burnley. All of a sudden, if at Leeds they don't get a win, that Burnley game becomes very very tough and then you've got Watford away and you know all of a sudden you might be looking you know at Norwich on the 20th of November as you know the kind of charity shield game where the charity rolls over let them you know let them tickle your bellies and uh, <laughs> three points so you're away from Norwich you know, for a little bit Jason I think so, I think I think the, the other thing with Southampton is in these other than the Chelsea one I think the games against Wolves, Leeds, Burnley, Watford, Aston Villa and Norwich, you would be hoping that Adam Armstrong gets about five goals there. Danny Ings certainly would have. So I think they need to see something from him in those games because it's it's just... It's my only concern that Southampton... Shea Adams, is, as we've alluded to before, is not an out-and-out goal scorer. They need Armstrong to step up and that's his Mm. chance... If he doesn't, there's questions to be had as to whether it may have been just one step too far for him. So whilst we're down there then, I mean, bearing in mind, I could probably pluck quite a few teams out of thin air here. But let's go one place above Southampton then, shall we? Liverpool 3, Crystal Palace 0. So off the back of a 3-0 win last week, the Eagles are kind of brought back down to earth with their own 3-0 defeat. So, obviously, not gone against the script, fair to say. But is there a sign that maybe the Spurs 3-0 win, as we've already alluded to with Spurs' performances, shouldn't be something that Palace should be getting too excited about? I actually think the latter. Certainly, Liverpool dominated, but it wasn't a 3-0 game in the traditional sense. For me, the style that Palace played against Spurs, everything was still there. We were unlucky. We had two or three chances, either half, where, you know, if we had taken the chance, then... I think Allison was scrambling for one of them, weren't he? Yeah, I mean, we hit the post twice in the first half. That's the other thing to say. Granted, I think one of them was just offside in the end, so it might have been disallowed, possibly. But, you know, when you compare it to performances... Under Hodgson, we lost 7-0 last season to them at Selhurst. And then we lost, I think, 4 or 5-0 at Anfield. Um, This season, we went there. Yes, we lost 3-0, but we had 13 shots 
on goal away from home to Liverpool, which, as you both know, for a Palace side is unheard of. Gillian Anderson, again, looked incredible. Um, the only disappointing thing from a Palace perspective will be the fact that the three goals came from set pieces. But I think that is the first time in a long time from a Palace perspective, I've come away from a 3-0 game loss and thought, you know what? We actually, going into the next few games, we've got enough about us. Because if that was another team that was bang average, you know, at times we had Kanate up against Benteke and Zaha and he struggled. So, yeah, look, we didn't win. We didn't get the three points. It didn't go against the script, but... We made them work for it and, you know, we pushed them as far as we could. It could have been different on another day, but, you know, from a Palace perspective, the most important thing was the performance and we had that and, you know, Liverpool and Liverpool, they looked every bit as good as, you know, we looked okay. So um, reasons to be cheerful for Palace and normal service resumed for Liverpool, I think it's a fair way to sum that up. How about that, Cookie, eh? Reasons to be cheerful off the back of a 3-0 defeat. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is with Liverpool. I mean, Mane, I mean, I'm reading here, he's got his 100th Liverpool goal in that game, which shows how good he's been for them. I mean, Mane but... and Salah are on fine form. Liverpool have um, no Trent or Robertson in that game. You know, they seem to be coping quite well, bearing in mind their defensive back line has always been sort of praised for being so consistent. But, you know... Canate, Milner and Simicas playing, so that's quite a surprise, but they seem to handle it quite well. Fair to say, stuck to the script on that one. And then, well, things seem to be panning out perfectly for me here because we've gone Southampton in 15th, Palace in 14th, so let's go up to 13th. It's Arsenal. Six points in two games, eh? Two six-pointers, both won. So... I guess it's happy days to an extent, Cookie. I have got a bit of a comeback for you, though, but I'll let you have your little moment because it's maximum points from Arsenal. I mean, we are looking a little bit more threatening. You seem to be a little bit more of a team now. You had 30-odd-plus shots against Norwich, which, let's be honest, I think Jason summed up how they are. You know, going to Burnley, I mean, that's been, that is, like you say, it is, can be a tough place. But the first half, I mean, I managed to get a stream on it. And the first half, that wasn't Burnley. It was almost like they did play into our hands a little bit. And we did control the game. But the second half, Burnley did go back to being Burnley. And they caused massive problems. Pumping the ball in the box. Getting it out wide. Taking the fullbacks on -on one-on-one. Picking out the weaknesses, testing Ben White and Gabrielle all the time. And in fairness, they did step up to it for the most part. Um, there was one incident which Ben White, again, I don't know what he's doing. He's, he's like he's kicking a massive stone towards Ramsdale, which in fairness, the go- if the goalkeeper doesn't get it right, that's a, that's a penalty and a red card. Um, and it would be a different game, but no, I mean, there's three points. There's a bit more confidence. Team morale has gone up a little bit. And arguably, I think we're probably just slightly more confident team going into this Sunday's derby. If we do get a positive result out of the Tottenham one, there is momentum. And there's a bit more confidence in that team. That's just this team needs 
needs a bit of fucking trust in them. And like I said, if we do lose to Tottenham, I do worry for us against Brighton. I'm not going to lie. Am I convinced that long term? No, no, I'm not. That ain't that in the team that's getting nowhere near Europe. That's a team that's going to settle for mid table, unless there's a momentum built. Mm, it's an interesting one. I'm kind of glad what's happening to Spurs at the minute because all the attention's been moved on to them, and we've now gone under the radar a little bit, which is kind of a good thing. And then they go and throw Spurs Arsenal into the mix, which will kind of bring everything back to the forefront again. Oh, I yeah. mean, where are we at? Where are we at with Burnley? Obviously, they they gave Arsenal a good go. Do you see much for Burnley? I think it's their time. The only thing I see for them is Saturday the second of October, and they'll get three points because it's against Charity FC. <laughs> <laughs> we really need. To. Well, we go up one more spot from Arsenal then and land on Leicester, who, well, what what's more surprising, Brighton in fourth or Leicester in twelfth? Oh, Brighton in fourth. Brighton in fourth, but I think to be fair, it, so two things in that game before the game. I thought it was a big game for Leicester for obvious reasons. Brighton have obviously started well. I will caveat it, though, and I'll say Leicester will feel pretty aggrieved that they didn't come away with the three points. And I think that is the first game where you could say probably Brighton rode their luck in terms of getting the three points. I mean, two goals disallowed for VAR, a few other chances as well that could have went Leicester's way. On another day, it could have been Leicester's time. It wasn't in that game for whatever reason. But it has to be said, despite them playing well, I think Renjan Rogers is really struggling to nail down his first 11. Um, Lookman should have started the game, in my opinion. Came on off the bench, made a massive difference straight away. Should have been the case from the off. Well, there's just something on that, because that was actually a point I was going to come to. Cookie, you've got a bit of a a bit of a stance on the whole... Well, the man that made way for Adam Ola Lookman at half-time. I mean, to pull James Madison off at half-time in any other season, would you would have said was a big call. But I think there's a lot of questions to be had as to whether he even deserves to be starting week in, I week mean, out for Leicester at this moment. Because what's that stat at the moment? I mean, that's 20-plus games now. I think it's 22 or 23 games. He's not contributed a goal or assist, which is quite mad, really. I think we've dodged a bullet, really, with that one. Have you dodged a bullet or is his head turned? No, dodged a bullet. I think, I think we've dodged a bullet. Yeah, I think done. there's a lot of hype around Madison, but when you watch him play, is he a number 10? Or does he come, He comes off one side, don't he? Because I don't oh, think he's a natural number 10. He's a mm, I, I don't know enough about to answer that one, to be honest. But he's certainly, when you discuss the whole... Mount Grealish and Madison, he is there's, well off the pace, isn't he? There's no comparison at the minute. They just ain't. Although look, I'd love to hear Jason really this, talk about Brighton more. Look, look, James Madison, just on that point, because it is a big point, because obviously at one point he was the golden boy of Leicester. But even if you look at it, we're talking about it in isolation now. This is pure Premier League stats, right? So purely Premier League. 18-19 season, which was, what, three seasons ago now, he got five goals and five assists. 
Now, if you're saying his role is primary uh, central attack mid midfielder number 10, which I believe it is, first season, tick, I'd say that's not a bad return, given the situation. You go on to the 1920 season, five goals and three assists. You go on to last season and he got six goals and four assists. So over three seasons, that's 16 goals and 12 assists. Is that really enough from your big money number 10 or a player that's worth 70 million pounds? For me, the answer is no. And I think he's been greatly overhyped and is highly overrated. I always think he's been overrated, um, but certainly more, none more so than ever now. Um, his character got called into question, obviously, that international break last year with England when he was caught you know, partying and whatever, and he got dropped by Southgate. So I think he's an overhyped player. I think Harvey Barnes has probably been a better player for Leicester than Madison. Oh. I mean, you go over that same period. I mean, 1920 for Harvey Barnes, he got six goals, eight assists. And then last season, he got nine goals, four assists. Mm. He's, he's not good enough. He's not good enough. Rogers needs to get a handle on his best. I mean, Dakar again. There's Leicester fans crying out for him. He, he played really well against Napoli. He needed to start this game. He didn't. And they are missing big players at the back, though. Yeah, but the problems aren't at the back, though, is it? It's not just at the back. Is well, it's arguably. Are they keeping clean sheets, Leicester? Yeah, but they're not scoring either, are they? Five goals scored, eight goals conceded. I mean, Leicester have scored as many goals as, you know, your Palaces, your Brentfords. It's the fact that the eight goals conceded seems to be a big, big worry. I don't think Rogers knows his best eleven right now. No, um, no. We, we haven't even mentioned Tillemans, and there's constant speculation about him now as well. So Madison and Tillemans, have they had both their head turned? Whatever way you look at it, yes, they've got a patched-up defence, but it was still a decent backline. That midfield is not performing to its potential. We've spoken a lot about Leicester, but, I mean, there's one team that are currently sitting fourth in the table at this moment in time, which, let's be fair, not even I thought was... was a, I thought they'd do OK and do a lot better than you two were predicting, but you're talking about Brighton. Seven goals scored, four goals conceded. I mean, you talk about a team that are playing for one another. That is Brighton right now, isn't it? How much are you hating this, Jason, with Brighton at the minute? No, look, fair play to them. They are, they're playing well. Their biggest problem last year was scoring goals and putting the chances away. There was no doubt that they had the players there to create. It was the finishing the end product that was the problem. And at the moment, as I say, it's the first time they've really been tested, I think, this season, in fairness. And, you know, Leicester, it could have been a very different game, but they came through it unscathed. I guess for them, there's some big, big games coming up. Palace, obviously, I don't need to say how big a game that is. Then after that, they've got Arsenal. I completely know what you're, what you're saying, Jace. But, I mean, Palace, Arsenal and Norwich, would you not argue that's another chance for Brighton to get at least six points there? Which would then take them to, what, 18 points? Well, They're halfway there. They're half, they literally are half, half there. there. seven games, seven eight games. games even. 
There, well, I was going to say also their next two games after Norwich are Man City and Liverpool. But will they care? If they get six points in those next three games, will they care? They won't care. But my point is, I don't think, I think when all is said and done, they'll finish mid-table there or thereabouts. I don't actually think they're going to break into Europe or do anything major. Oh, no. Ninth or tenth for Brighton would be an absolute miracle. I mean, I had them at 15th, but I don't, you know, I never for a second thought they would be in a major... Top half. I mean, they still could finish 15th. I mean, we've seen teams in the past that have had Well, Southampton, that was my point. I think I said in the first pod, it would depend on if they can score the goals and put away their chances. And at the moment, they're doing that. So Brighton looking very good. Leicester definitely looking well off the pace and something needs to change ASAP for them. Um, And just like that, the 10 games have been summarised. So... Firstly, we come to the new predictions. So I hope you've had a look at the fixtures between you both, because this is where we have to choose one game each. And there are some very interesting games, I would say. Certainly some that will be difficult to call, that's for sure. Jason, I'm going to give you first pick. Where are you going this weekend (laughs) for your game of choice. I wonder why you went to me first. Look, I have to go for it. Is it happening, Cookie? Is he doing it again? For the the significance it could have on both teams this season and for the the stance of the game, I'm going to go for... All right, I know you're going for Everton Norwich. Chelsea, Crystal Palace, Brighton. Oh, oh, you're sadly shocked there. (laughs) That's three Palace games he's picked. And funny enough, if I'd have known he was going to do that, I wouldn't have picked Palace the week before. Fuck's sake. (laughs) Yeah, I can't not. I think there's going to be goals. I think it's going to be a great game for neutral. I think, yeah, I think it'll have everything. Genuinely, I think it'll have everything. I'm really excited about it, so... Well, you know what's coming then, Cookie. Nil-nil and a half-hour analysis. Yeah. <laughs> Come yeah. Tuesday. Oh, I'll get prepared. Uh, right, no, Cookie, where it. are you going? Are you are you going big? Because there's big games. Are you going to be the one to oh, choose it? Oh, Jesus Christ. There's, there's three, isn't there? Let's be honest, there's three big games. Um, there are three big games. There are three big games. Um, do you know what? I'm going to have to go for it. Mm. I'm glad Chelsea you are. Man City. Oh, you're gone for that one, are you? I can't pick that one because I know you have to. <laughs> I, I, Chelsea Man City, that, that's, for me, that's going to be a big indicator oh, of where the title's going to gonna go. I think that's easier to call. Yeah, absolutely easier to call. I, I think Chelsea are going to ran, ran Chelsea. I do. I, I just cannot see. Man oh, I was City trying to build it up because I've got Chelsea. You know, you're on well, you, you pick yours. Well, you're going to be pissed off because I'm not picking it. You're not picking it? I'm not picking it. Oh, that's all right then. I'm going to keep it televised, but it's just which one do I do? Oof. I tell you what, there's an interest. There's, there's one that's going to be really hard to call, but I think it's going to kind of fall flat. I tell you what, let's keep this interest. Let's go Brentford Liverpool. Oh, you did go Brentford Liverpool. Ooh. That would be a good game. I think it 
will be a good game. That's why I picked it, and I'll be interested to know whether there's going to be anyone that's got a gutsy feeling that Brentford might do anything. I think it could be one step too far, but if there's a game that could throw something up into into the mix, it could be that one. For once, I think we've gone pretty big, three televised games, so that's going to roll in quite well. Let's go then. Palace, Brighton. So, Jace, I came to you first. What are you going for? I'm going, I think it'd be goals galore. I'm going 3-2 Palace. Oh, we've gone with his art. I'm glad. Cookie, what do you reckon? I'm with him. I think there'll be goals. But, sorry, I'm going to have to go 3-1 Brighton. Oh, you nearly chose my score, but I was a bit more generous because I actually went... 2-1 Brighton. As for this one, I, I would honestly say, Cookie, I think this is the easiest of the three games to call. The supposed big game on Saturday lunchtime. I'm going to go 3-1 Chelsea on this one. Oh, oh, I think Pep could be in trouble off the back of this Ooh. one. I think there's going to be alarm bells going off because I think Man City are going to start up to see the red half of Manchester getting a little bit vocal after this one. Well, they play at the same time. They Man do. United. Villa which as is well. interesting for a weekend. Um, I'm going to go 2-0 Chelsea. I don't think City will score. They're going to shut them out. Cookie's called it spot on from what I said. You say 2-0 as well? Yeah, although I'm going to change it and just... Uh... I'm going to say 3-1 Chelsea. Oh, so you've gone with my one. Yeah, well, I was going to go 2-0, and now I don't want to copy him, so... So you copied me instead? He's copied If you're going to copy someone, you might as well go with your gut, surely. <laughs> He's got to go in the middle now, 3-0, hasn't he? Who, me? <laughs> yeah, go on then. I'll do three nil. Go on then. Oh, he's gone three nil. Okay. Oh, he's meeting it in the middle, is he? Okay, fair enough. Right in the middle of the two predictions. Yeah, he'll be on. right now. After all that, you watch. Um, no, don't. Lukaku brace and Jorginho goal, and uh, no goals for City and crisis. Fair enough. That'd be interesting. I tell you what, that'd be a story in itself. Come on, then. What are we saying? Brentford, Liverpool. How about this one? Do you know what? A score's come to my head, and I don't know whether to just go with my gut instinct here, but a score just came straight to my head, and I think I'm going to have to pick it because I'll be annoyed if I don't. Can I say mine first? Just, go on, then, Jase. I literally, as soon as you picked that game, I had one shoot straight in. I'm I'll, so... I'll tell you what, I'll... Go on, then. I've got mine written down. OK. I'm going 5-2 Liverpool. Fuck, that's not my score. I went 2-all. Oh, 5-2 Liverpool. Yeah, I... 5-2. I just wow. think, I just think that it'll be a great game. It'll be open. I think Brentford will go for it. And I just think Liverpool will be too rich for them. See, now, because I think Brentford will score two. Well, we all seem to then. I think Liverpool will get three. That's why I picked the game. I thought there'd be goals. Well, we, we seem to think all three games are going to have goals, so that's interesting. Um, I guess we've got a big talking point now. Who's up and who's down? Um, I'm going to get mine out of the way because 
I need to get them off the bottom of the table, really, because it's gone on too long now. I think I've got to give Brentford credit and just move them up and try and get them out of that bottom three if they carry on the way they are. So Brentford go from 20th to 19th. For me and Norwich will go to 20th and stay there for the rest of the season. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, I think I've got Brentford in the bottom three. I have to move them up. So where do you know what your table was or not? <laughs> I think I had Norwich. I think I had Norwich bottom and Brentford 19th. But I, I think I had Burnley 18th. I've got to swap them both easily. I've got to try and get same. I'm on the same predicament as you, Brentford. I have to eat my words with them. Interesting, Jace. I am going to... Do you know what I'm going to do, actually? Because I haven't done it yet. Move Palace down if I want. <laughs> I had... So I've already moved Chelsea from second to top, and I've moved City from top to second. But I'm actually yeah. going to say Liverpool. I've still got yeah. fourth. I'm actually going to say uh, ahead of Man United. Probably with the intent to put them above City, I would imagine, as well. That's That wraps up this week um so we'll leave it at that so that'll be me and jason joining you next time where we'll be discussing what seems to be a week of quite big games as per usual you can obviously listen to all previous shows on youtube and all podcast platforms so that's me signing out i'll speak to you next week good night all cheers all Thanks, everybody.